0: We're going to be on Melchizedek for actually a little while. Those of you that are listening online, welcome. and We're glad that you're here. We're in chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. It says, "...this Melchizedek was king of Salem, and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings, and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First his name means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem means king of peace." "...without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever." Verse 4, "...just think how great he was, even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder." Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham." This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And yet, and without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor." So that's what we're going to be covering tonight, is this section here. Now, before we even try to get into who is Melchizedek, I think it would be valuable for us to go back to Genesis chapter 14 and see the one other place besides Psalm 110 verse 4, where God says about Jesus, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And Genesis chapter 14 is this one account of Melchizedek that the Hebrew writer is referring to. So we're going to look at verses seventeen through twenty. That's Genesis fourteen, verses seventeen through twenty. Uh, at this point, remember God had told Abraham to leave his country and his family, and he actually kind of semi-obeyed. And, and uh, Lot's still with him at this time. They had gotten into a dispute because of their herds getting so big, and Abraham gave Lot the chance to choose first. And he looked towards Sodom and saw the plains and the fertile valley, and he headed off there. And Abraham went in the other direction. At this point, though, uh, some kings have come to attack Sodom and Gomorrah and they've taken Lot and everybody off as captive. Abraham gets word of it, and he rounds up some of his servants, and they go to defeat these five kings. It's an amazing story. And, uh, they, and Abraham has been given the victory by God. As they're coming back now, chapter 14 of Genesis, starting in verse 17, it says, After Abram returned from defeating Kerdelammer, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shabbat, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, this is the only recording we have of Abram. I'm sorry, of Melchizedek. And so now the question, which has been over the years a big question, and by the way, I'm going to tell you right now, we won't answer it. I'm going to give you some ideas, I'm going to tell you what I think, but to be honest with you, you could go either way. I've already told you in the past, there are some people that think that Melchizedek was Shem, I'm going to throw that one out, I just don't see that as even a possibility, so I'm leaving that one alone. The big issue we're going to deal with tonight is, is he, was he just a man, was Melchizedek a human being? Or was Melchizedek a pre-incarnate or before Jesus took on flesh? Was he an appearance of Jesus on the earth before he took on flesh? And so those are the two issues. Now there are some who believe that he was just a man and whom we don't know his genealogy. But since he was a king and a priest at that time, he was a picture of what Jesus was going to be. And so we're, there are those that, that believe that. And they have every right to, and to be honest with you, there are a lot of things that point to that being a possibility. But for where I am, and I'm going to put it to you this way, for where I am right now, I believe that actually this was a visit of Jesus Christ to the earth before He took on flesh. And I have a lot of reasons, remember I told you before we turned the tape on, nine pages worth of, of notes here tonight that we're going to try to get through as to head on to why I believe it was actually not a man, but Jesus Himself before He took on flesh. So if you're ready to go, get your note paper out, get your pens, and I'm going to begin this journey, All right, Now... Before we even go into proving that I believe it's Jesus, I want to uh, show you that uh, Jesus Himself has appeared on the earth many times before He came, was born of Mary and took on flesh. And I want to take a look at some of those to show you that this idea is not a crazy one in and of itself. Go to Genesis chapter 18. You're in 14. Go to chapter 18. Look at verses 1 through 8. And then we're going to look at verses 16 and 17. In Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, it says the lord appeared to abraham near the great trees of mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby when he saw them he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and he bowed low to the ground he said if i found favor in your eyes my lord do not pass your servant by let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seas of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf, and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Now this is the account where actually uh, God says that Sarah is going to give birth next year at this time. Go to verses 16 and 17. It says, When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And so, as you see here, God appeared, the Lord appeared to him before he took on Jesus took on flesh. Here's God appearing on the earth in the form of a man, and actually there's three men at this point. and Abraham recognizes right away, this is not a regular human being, And he bows, he comes and offers food, and says, "I just want to treat you with respect." So jump over now to chapter 28. Yes, sir. I believe he spoke out loud. I th- you know, it's kind of like he says it out loud so it could be recorded. You know what I'm saying? And there's a sense where, where God could be speaking in his mind, thinking in his mind, shall I hide this from him? But I believe he said it out loud. Kind of like when Jesus was out there praying outside of Lazarus' tomb. He said, Lord, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. I just said that for the benefit of the people here. I think the Lord spoke out loud. Shall I hide? He could have been speaking to the other two. Visitors, that are you know that we're with him, but it appears that the Lord there speaks out loud. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Verse three. it's Lord is it's capitalized? My Lord. It's Lord capitalized. It's lowercase. It's lowercase. Yep. mine's lowercase as well. He knew somebody important. He knew it. Was he knew it. At the time, I don't believe he fully knew. He just knew this is this is a special visitor. But as you see, keep going. It's very clear that it is God Himself, though here. Alright? Now, go to chapter 28. Chapter 28 of Genesis. Look at verses 10 through 22. It says, Jacob left Beersheba, and he set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel which means house of God, by the way, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Here, when Jacob sees God in his vision, he then says, I want to give you a tenth of everything. Now, this is before the... Mosaic law and the tithe being set up by God, but he said, I'm going to give you a tenth. Keep that in your mind, because that's going to be important later on in our study. Go to Genesis 32 verses 22 through 32. Same man, Jacob, a few years later. Genesis 32 verses 22 through 32 says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. The The man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Here Jacob not only had a vision of seeing God, here he wrestled with God. God again took on the form of man for a period. Again, this is when we talk tonight about pre incarnate, we're talking before he took on flesh, God appeared on the earth as a human being. Here he wrestled with, with Jacob, and as you can see, even though he was a man, he had the ability just to touch his hip and have it co out of joint to the point that he limped the rest of his life. But what happens? What does the man do that, that Jacob wrestles with? He blesses him. As you saw, and we'll see it again a little later tonight, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Let's go to one more place, Joshua chapter 5. In Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. You know, you said, uh, Melchizedek blessed him, but so did Balaam bless. He was not. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, it doesn't mean it had to be God, because, I mean, Abraham blessed his sons and and so on. Yeah, and I'm just saying that the the greater blesses the lesser. And in in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, Are you for us or for our enemies? I love the answer. Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come now. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now whenever John was visited by an angel, remember in the book of Revelation, and he fell down, what did the angel always tell him to do? Get up. up. And when Moses met God at the burning bush, what did God tell Moses? Moses. Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. And here, Joshua, when the angel of the Lord, of the, the commander of the Lord's army, which is God Himself again in, in human form, when He appeared, Joshua fell before Him, and God didn't say, "Get up," and God said, "Take off your shoes." So here again, we see an appearance of God in human form on the earth before He takes on flesh. Yes, sir. Uh, going back a little bit. Why do you think it meant David blessed it? What does that mean? Which which one we're talking about? Well, be honest with blessings. Take what does the blessing mean? I'm I'm going to just say, for the sake of time and what we need to cover tonight, I'm going to give you a quick answer. The answer to what does blessing mean could take on many forms. It could be a, a prophecy of what's going to be coming, a promise of future blessing. It could just sometimes a blessing is you have my favor. You know, I Think about how often we want our Father to give us a blessing and His blessing. And sometimes just a tussle of, it, of our hair from our dad is His blessing when He says, hey, you're mine and you're loved. The blessing can take on many forms. And so to be honest with you, I'd have to do a fuller study what the blessing was in that instance. Okay? Alright? Good deal. Alright, so the, the reason why we did this quick little study here of these, they're called either Theophanies or Christophanies, some people call them, or Appearances of God on earth, in human form, before he took on flesh, is just to show you that if Melchizedek is God, an appearance of God, just like one of these, it's not uncommon. Alright? I just want you to see this is something that God may do. Alright? And has done in the past. Alright? So let's, let's go back to chapter 7 of Hebrews then, and we're going to kind of just start at the top, and work our way down, and start looking at this description of Melchizedek from the Hebrew writer, and we're going to just kind of break start breaking it down. Alright? The first thing we see in chapter 7, verse 1, is what? He's the king of what? Salem. He's the king of Salem. Now, put a bookmark here in chapter 7 and run over to Psalm 76. I know you just got there, but I told you to put a bookmark in. Go to Psalm 76. Again, you remember, in my, my teaching is not going to be... Here's what I think. It's going to be based on Scripture. Because I honestly think Scripture needs to interpret Scripture. And... So, anything I have to say that I think is of any value is just going to be from scripture to scripture. So, Psalm 76, verses 1 through 12. And for those of you that have been following my teaching for a while, you're not surprised that I told you to read one verse and then change the page again, did you? That didn't catch a lot of you by surprise. Go to Psalm 76. Look at what it says here in verses 1 through 12. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His tent is in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shields of the swords of the weapons of war. You are resplendent with light. You're majestic, more majestic than mountains, rich with gain. Valiant men lie plundered. They sleep their last sleep. Not one of these warriors can lift his hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both horse and chariot lie still. You alone are to be feared. Who can stand before you when you're angry? From heaven you pronounce judgment, and the land feared and was quiet. When you, O God, rose up to judge, to save all the afflicted of the land, surely your wrath against men brings you praise and the survivors of your wrath are restrained. Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. Let all the neighboring lands bring gifts to the one to be feared. He breaks the spirit of rulers. He is feared by the kings of the earth. I honestly believe this is a prophecy that is not fully, fully fulfilled until the second coming of Jesus Christ. But we see at the beginning a picture that it says, In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. And His tent, God's tent, is where? He's in Salem. And you see back in, in, in uh, Melchizedek is called the, ki- the king of Salem, which means the king of peace, which we're going to see. All right, he's also, in verse 1, described as what? Not just the king of Salem, he's also what? He's the priest of God Most High. Now, I just want to remind you of something. We're not going to take the time to turn there because we don't have time to look at all the scriptures of this. But if you remember, God took it very seriously when kings tried to pr- play the role of priest and king. Remember? I mean, God was very serious about the fact that kings were to be kings and priests were to be priests. Saul didn't wait for Samuel and he played the role of priest and offered the sacrifice. What happened to Saul? He lost his kingship. We know Uzziah, maybe you don't know, Uzziah did the same thing. He offered incense at the altar which was only to be done by the priests and he was struck with leprosy and stayed that way until he died. I just want you to understand that... Another thing is, is, if this Melchizedek is just a man, it would be very surprising for the fact that God is very serious that man is not to be priest and king. So, it's an interesting thing to look at. Again, I'm not saying that he wasn't a man. Melchizedek could have been a man. I'm just slowly building a case of a lot of things that sure point toward the fact that this might have been a Christophany. So, let's, let's stick with that for now and keep moving. Also, it says in chapter uh, 7, verse 1, that he, Melchizedek, blessed Abraham. In chapter 7, verse 7, we've also looked at before, without doubt the lesser person is blessed by the greater. And we saw earlier that God blessed Jacob when he wrestled with him in that situation. Again, just keep going so we can keep moving and see what what we think here. All right, now in um, verse 2, Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now we saw that Jacob did that, when he met God and he said, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything. And a question that jumped out at me as I thought about this. I was like, okay, if Melchizedek was just a man, why did Abraham give him a tenth of the spoils? I mean, he didn't live in Salem. He wasn't under his jurisdiction, if you will. And then also, since he's in a foreign land, this is a foreign land, could it be that Abraham knew who he was? Could it be that he recognized? There's one aspect of this that I can't prove, and I've wrestled with this and talked talked with some guys that that study the Scriptures with me about this. If you remember, the king of Sodom comes out, and then the king of Salem comes out. What does the king of Salem bring Abraham, or Abram at the time? Does anybody remember? He brought him bread and wine. Isn't that an interesting picture? He brings him bread and wine. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. And I think Abraham recognized that this might have been someone special. And he gives him a tenth. And then Abraham says this when so- the king of Sodom then says, Hey, uh, I want you to take the spoils. And he said, I have already made a vow to the Most High God. Now, if he's referring to what's just encountered between him and Melchizedek, that could be a further proof. We don't know. His vow could have just been to God and had nothing to do with Melchizedek. But it's in the context there. If you go back to Genesis 14, he says, I've made a vow to the Most High God that I will not take any of the spoils, save what my men have taken, because I don't want any, you to say that you have made me rich. The king of Sodom offered, uh, offered that to him before Right, he, he did. Had Melchizedek. Right, he offered it to him, but then he says it about afterwards. He responds to him afterwards. You see it in the context there. I've made my vow to, to the God Most High. Again, I'm not saying that that is referring to him talking to Melchizedek. It's just an interesting thing in the context there. Just, again, remember what I'm doing. I'm throwing out things for you to wrestle with. And if you walk out of here, 50% of you thinking Melchizedek was a man, and 50% thinking that, that he was Jesus before he took on flesh, great. It doesn't matter. I'm just letting you, letting you look at this to see. Let's keep moving. All right, go ahead, Fred. Can I go back to... Sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, but they like the Son of God. We're going to get to that. We haven't gotten there yet. We're working our way down from chapter 7, working through the verses. Okay. You must be one of those excellent students that's already way ahead of the teacher, Right. <laughs> Or you're bored and you're you're already moving ahead. Okay, verse 2 now in chapter 7. Let's keep looking. His name means King of Righteousness, and King of Salem means King of Peace. Again, sounding very familiar to a picture of Jesus Christ. It doesn't prove anything, but it's very interesting. Go to verse 3. He's without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of of days or end. Now, some say that this is simply saying that since we have no record of Melchizedek's beginning or end, that this is a picture of Jesus and that's all. And it could be that's all it means. But with all we've been looking at so far, these words may be describing more. They may be describing God Himself. Go to verse number 3. And this is where we're going to get to the part where your question is, Fred. It says, like the Son of God, He remains a priest forever. Well, let's deal with that part first before we get into the made like, made like the Son of God. Chapter 7, verse 3. It says, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, He remains a priest forever. Let's deal with that real quick. He says, Melchizedek remains a priest forever. Now, is this talking about a man? Or is this talking about Jesus? Jesus. I'm leaning toward Jesus, but I don't know. Nobody knows, alright? Let's, let's go to the next part, though. This is where the problem starts to occur right now, though. Alright, when we get to verse, um, verse 4. Sorry, not verse 4. Let me get back to where it was here. It made like... I've lost where it was down here. Bottom of verse 3. There we go, like verse 3. Mm-hmm made like the Son of God. This is where some scholars now have issue with Melchizedek being Jesus pre-incarnate. Here's where where the big bugaboo starts. This is where those who think that he's just a man have their problem because it says, look, it said he was made like the Son of God. But what I want to do right now is I want to walk you through a restudy of the book of Hebrews and some of the passages we've already been to. And I want to show you that the Hebrew writer actually has done this a lot. Alright, I'm gonna read my notes here. It says, since the Hebrew writer used the term like the Son of God, or being made like the Son of God, some of your translations say it that way, being made like the Son of God, they say that this is proof that Melchizedek was not Jesus. Now, let's take a look at this, alright? In this verse, Melchizedek is described as being, or remaining a priest forever. That's hard for a human being who dies. Also we see, though, in the Greek, the perfect passive, being made, is very common in Hebrews for what happens to Jesus. Put a bookmark here and go back to chapter 1, verse 4. You're going to see a pattern in the Hebrew writer's writing that shows that he does this a lot. In chapter 1 of Hebrews, in verse 4, this is what it says. So he, speaking of Jesus became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Let me read it again. It says, so he, Jesus, became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now, has Jesus always been superior to the angels, or did he become superior to the angels? He's always been, but here the Hebrew writer uses the term, he became superior, all right? Now, it also says, as, as the name He inherited is superior to theirs. What is the name that He inherited? Son. That's very key. Alright? He inherited the name Son. He's always been the Son, but He inherited the name Son when He took on flesh. And so what we're seeing here is a picture that the Hebrew writer, and we're going to show you some other places that, from where we've already looked that this is developed. The Hebrew writer is developing this picture of the fact that Jesus has always existed, yet in His taking on of flesh, He fulfilled fully all that He was supposed to be and do, so that He could be the high priest for us, that He could be the sacrifice. And even though He has always existed, even though He's always been superior, the Hebrew writer here says He became superior. So we see a picture of that. And he inherited the name son or the title son. Now, let's see this. He'll do it again uh, when he says uh, in chapter 2, verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Here again, we see the perfect passive that Jesus is described to be made like his brothers. Again, that's what the, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3, there, when he's made like the Son of God, it's the perfect passive. It's, we see the Hebrew writers done that before. Let me show you another place, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3. It says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Jesus said it's to be found worthy. Was He already worthy? Yes. But this is describing something that was true already, but was made known in the flesh. There's a strong possibility that what happened in chapter 7, verse 3, when it says He was made like His brothers, is just a further evidence of what we're talking about. Something that has always been, but was made evident in the flesh. Or made like the Son of God, I mean, in chapter 7, verse 3. Let's look at one more place. Go to chapter 5, verse 9. It says and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Obey him. Alright, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. By the way, that is the verse that started this whole thing about Melchizedek. Chapter 5, verse 9. It's the first time the Hebrew writer brings it out. And he then wants to go into his study. And as you know in our study, he had to stop and say, you're not ready for this yet. You're, you should be teachers by now, but you're not because you've been lazy and you're thinking about going back to Judaism. And then he says, you know what? We should move beyond the elementary teaching, and I'm going to do that anyway. And we're just, by God's grace, move forward, and hopefully you grasp this. And he finally gets to chapter 7 back to Melchizedek, but this is where it all started. But look at how he's described. Jesus is said to have been made perfect Once again, He already was, but it was completed on earth. So what we're seeing, though, is a picture throughout the book of Hebrews that the Hebrew writer is saying, Jesus has always been, yet there were things about Him that were made complete when He took on flesh. There's a chance, if you go back now to chapter 7, that when it says in verse 3, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life... Like the Son of God, He remains a priest forever. Or some Soviet translations say, Being made like the Son of God, He remain, remains a priest forever. There's a chance that that's what's continuing, is that when it says He was made like the Son of God, it was talking about, like He has in these other places, what has already, already existed, but was made evidence when He took on flesh. Remember, He inherited the title Son. Go ahead. And what? Why would he want us to think that Melchizedek could in any way be human? Well, that's a good question, but let me, let me answer that. The people that believe that Melchizedek was a human, what they say is simply this, that here is a man who was both priest and king prior to the Aaronic priesthood and the Levites, and so down the road you're going to see that as the Hebrew writer develops that Jesus is our high priest, he's going to be using the the, the Levitical priesthood. And someone could easily say, hey, hang on for a second. Jesus isn't from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah. He's not able to fulfill the role of priest for us because he's not from the tribe of Levi. The Hebrew writer is saying, hang on for a second, I'm going to show you, before we even get into that, that there was a priest prior to the Levitical priesthood, who was both priest and king. And some say that that's all Melchizedek is, is a picture that there was this person who was a priest and a king, priest of God Most High, and a king over Salem, and, and, or which is pre-Jerusalem, if you will. And that this picture of this man that we don't know where he came from or where he went, we don't have any genealogy of where he descended from, that there was a human that already was a priest and a king, Jesus is in that order. And, and they could be right. That's, the Hebrew writer could just be using a human Melchizedek as a picture as in the way that the Levitical priests are going to be a picture of who Jesus is and what His role is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Again. I lean toward the fact that it's Jesus himself fulfilling this role of giving us the picture of what's to come down the road, but it could have been just a man. I have a couple of issues with that in the sense of it's very hard for me to imagine at this time in history a man who's the king of this area, which by the way, if you keep studying in the history of that time, there comes a king after him in that area, king of Salem in chapter 10 of Joshua, verse 1, and his Adam Nizek is his name. He actually goes to kill the Israelites and all. It's hard it's hard for me to fathom that there was actually a king at that time who was priest of God Most High and super righteous. There could have been. God can do all sorts of stuff. You know, you had your, you, got, you got the wrinkled face and the hand up. What's that? That's age. That's age, okay. <laughs> uh, beginning of verse 3 mm-hmm. eliminates anybody who was born of a man and a woman. Well, it appears that way. Some people, are, I understand, but some people say that it just simply says that because we don't know his genealogy. He's, he, in a sense, is without father or mother. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think, I think it does. But if it actually means... Without father or mother, if, if it means that... Who else could that be, exactly? Well, I, I agree. If that's what it's saying, there is no one left but Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, I have a hard time putting somebody, Jesus, in the order of a man... Jesus is in his own order, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. But there are, there are many. And I'll be honest with you, there are people that I respect in ministry who see this as being just a man. Uh, John MacArthur is one. Uh, there's a, a wonderful theologian called F.F. F. Bruce who sees this as just being a man. Tony Kessinger and I usually agree 100% on many things. This is one area that we don't. Tony sees this as just a man. There are lots of people. There might be people in this room that just see it as a man. Duke sees it as just a man. It doesn't really make that much difference, but since I'm the one sitting behind the desk, I get to say, here's what I think. Now, understand, we who teach will be held in high accountability. So that's why I'm saying, as for right now, my understanding, I lean toward this being Jesus himself. That's how I see it. Go ahead. Everything in the Old Testament is a picture of the salvation story. Most everything, I guess, in some sense, is how I put it. Right. But yes, go ahead. So, God's very clear about who he is. Mm Mm-hmm. Why would He give us confusion about man if it wasn't who He is? Again, we... He doesn't... He's not kind of confused <laughs> God. He's right. not got all down. Let me just say that if this were that simple, God. it wouldn't be the debate. His ways are not our ways. His ways are not our ways. Exactly. Could God use a man? At the, he could. And and like I say, there are some that just think that it was just a man. And you know what? It very may well well could be, but there are some things, and I haven't even gotten to one yet. There are some things in this passage here in Hebrews 7 that make me go, I don't think it was just a man. No, because it's... Yeah, I under, and you know, I would agree with you on that one, Peggy. The only issue is—is is remember there was this bad king in Joshua chapter 10, whose name was Adam Isaac, and his Adam name means right. His name means righteousness too. Means righteousness. His name so is that it? means Lord, <laughs> right? Lord of righteousness. His name means Lord of righteousness, and he wasn't a good guy. So he was righteous. His name can mean anything. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, <laughs> same thing with Melchizedek. You could use that for Melchizedek as well. So, again, we're not going to solve it, folks. If you want to solve it, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> All right? I'm just building the case for what I'm thinking. I'm showing you all sides, but I'm just going to show you what I, in my study of this, and believe me, I've been wrestling with this for a while. Uh, And where I'm at right now, I'm honestly, for many reasons, pointing toward, I think it was Jesus himself, and I haven't even gotten there yet. There's more. So, let's keep... Okay, I appreciate that, Duke. I appreciate that, Duke. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. All right. Now, let's go on... Or Let me just read where we're at. How So Melchizedek in Genesis 14 is, in my mind, a type or a picture, but a picture or a type of himself. His future work to be done by him in the flesh. I think instead of God saying there was a man that we could use as a picture of what Jesus was going to do, and then there was this man named Melchizedek who was priest and king, and he wasn't from the order of Levi, that may well be. God could do it that way. But I think, from my understanding of what the Scripture is saying here, what it seems to be pointing to, that there's a chance that Jesus Himself, in the same way in which He appeared as the commander of the Lord's army, as He appeared to Jacob, as He appeared to Abraham, there's a chance that Jesus Himself appeared to Abraham, or Abram at the time, when He was coming back from the defeat of the kings. Abram said, there's something about this guy. He gives him a tenth of the plunder. That man blesses him there's a chance that it was Jesus Himself giving a picture of what He was going to be down the road. That's where I'm headed. Now, let's just keep going though. As the Hebrew writer will go on to talk about Jesus' high priestly work later on in this book, one could have argued, like I just said, that Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi and was not qualified to fulfill the role. But Jesus had already given us a picture of Himself prior to Levi, even being born and to leave even being born, in which he himself already was king and priest. So in order for Melchizedek to effect his true priesthood, he would have to become seed of Abraham to take on flesh and perform his priestly work. In other words, he would need to be made like the Son of God. He has always been the Son of God, but his title, while eternal, is also inherited through his incarnate work. And I want to read to you now, Hebrews, go back to Hebrews chapter 1. Look at verses one, sorry, verses 4 and 5. But I'm going to start in verse 1 all the way to verse 5. And read it slowly and listen to what it says here. It says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, and many times and in various ways. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in Heaven. So He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are My Son, today I have become your Father? Or again, I'll be His Father and He will be My Son. Do we see then that... Jesus was made like the Son of God. Do you see it? Here we're seeing in the Scriptures that it says that Jesus was made like the Son of God. Has He always been the Son? Yes. But He was also, when He took on flesh, made like the Son of God. There's a strong chance that the question mark that people have about Hebrews 7 verse 3 simply says that He was made like the Son of God. Alright? That's what I want you to kind of, kind of look out at. Now let's go back to chapter 7 and look at verses 4-10, through which we haven't gotten to yet. And let's kind of, with this possible understanding, look at these verses. Chapter 7, verse 4. Just think how great he was, speaking of Melchizedek. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires that the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people. That is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is person is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. Do you see it? That appears to sound a little bit like more than just a man in that verse 8. And to be honest with you, that is the verse that tipped me over over the ledge. Verse 8 is what pushed me over the ledge. Let's read this again. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die. But in the other case, speaking of Melchizedek, by him who is declared to be living. That sounds like more than a man. And that's what made me start to really wrestle with this and go deeper in this. I see your hand, Allison. My version says, of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. Right. And again, it's referring to Melchizedek. Exactly. It's witness that he lives on. Witness at that point, two people I understand. I don't know. Like I say, I can't tell you I know. But it sure points that there's a possibility that it was Jesus himself showing up to give a picture as a priest king of what he was going to be fully and what only he could accomplish. So, let's just look at this. He says in verse... The go ahead. for me to, to see is that mm-hmm. Jesus came... Mm -hmm. He was born and died and resurrected. I can't see the purpose in uh, when he met with Abraham because that meant he was stuck in a human body, the same as when he was on this earth. No, 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 no. He wasn't. Because he had to reign as a king. He had to reign Mm as a king over a kingdom. What if it's just a title? No, I'm not saying he was the. I'm not saying that he was an actual for many, many days in a row, king over Salem. I'm saying, what if it's it's just a simple title, king of peace and king of righteousness? What if it's not that he was an actual king? He was king of Salem. Right, which means king of peace, the Hebrew writer says. What if that Jesus just appeared that one time like He did as the commander of the Lord's army? He didn't stay on the earth in that form. When He wrestled with Jacob, He didn't stay on the earth in that form. When He appeared to Abraham, He didn't stay on the earth in that form. What I'm saying is there's a possibility that time, He appeared. Every time that He did any other theophanies. there was always some statement that said... Mm-hmm. By people bowing down to him, worshiping him, and, and, your shoes, and your... yeah, but in this one, Abraham in this in Genesis fourteen bows to him, offers him a tenth. It didn't bow to him. He said he offered him a tenth. Offered him a tenth. Well, <laughs> that's what I'm getting at. This kind of thing. There, I'm, all I'm saying, Duke, is this: there's a possibility that he just yeah. appeared in this one time with the title King of Peace and King of Righteousness, and he was worshipped, not worshipped, but offered a, the, the tenth by Abram. There's a chance that that's all it was. We don't know because we have no recording of his genealogy, his ancestry. We don't know anything about him. If you look at the genealogies from uh, from Shem on down, mm-hmm. the only genealogy that's traced in Scripture is genealogy that leads to Christ. Right. So the other genealogy, oh, again. even Adonai's Zedek, that we talked about, doesn't have a genealogy. Right. No, he thinks that he was a human. I know, and I'm mm-hmm. making that point too. Mm-hmm. In that Also Again, but, in the, but he's saying that in, the, that in that one genealogy that traced, there are other genealogies that don't trace to Christ. He's saying we only have recorded of the one that traces to Christ. He could have been in another genealogy, and very well could be. I'm just simply saying... I, I believe he was a Shemite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A similar, right. Uh, Allison. Where is Salem? Salem is actually the city of Jerusalem. Okay. It was called Salem prior to that. Most likely in that area. Okay. Mm-hmm. In any other place... No, Melchizedek is never met, and even in every other writings of other cultures, we don't see Melchizedek listed. That doesn't mean he didn't exist and it wasn't a human being. It just means, again, please don't. You're still trying to solve this, guys. Stop trying to solve this. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yep. Okay. They're, it's not solvable. We don't know, but we will find out. But all I'm saying is, and I get to say it because I'm the teacher. Here's what I think. That's all this is. If you're trying to change my mind, you're, <laughs> you're wasting tape. Alright? Now, down the road, my mind may change, but right now, I don't... I, this is after wrestling with it for a while. And like I said, verse 8 is what jumped out at me and how it appears that Melchizedek is described to still be living. Yes, sir? Uh, in verse 8, I guess the two words that impressed were here and there. Now, John, I Still active at the time. That's where the fear comes in, to the earlier historical incident recorded in Genesis 14. The so there, the Levitical priesthood changed, and as each priest died until it passed away altogether. Whereas Melchizedek's priesthood is perpetual, since the record about his priesthood does not record his death. And like I said, that's a possibility as well. As you know, there are we we could look at it this way or look at it that way, and sometimes we have to say we don't know. So I don't want you guys setting up into your camps and okay, all the people that think it's Jesus park over here next week, and all the people that think it's man park over here next week. Relax. Isn't it neat that we don't have to know? But the neat thing though is this, it's written in the Scriptures for a reason. God put it here for a reason, but He's wanting us to see whether it was a man or whether it was Jesus Himself giving us a picture of what's going down the road. Jesus is able to fulfill the role of priest and king because whether it was a man or whether it was Jesus Himself, it's a picture we've seen before. That's what the Hebrew passage is saying. This is not, you can't throw Jesus out now because He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. Whether Melchizedek was a human being who actually existed, or whether it was a Christophany that Jesus appeared in the flesh, or not in the flesh, but in human form in this way. Either way, we have seen prior to the Levitical priesthood a picture of the priest and king, and Melchizedek is a picture of that. God Himself says in Psalm 110 verse 4 through David, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, whether he was human or whether it was Jesus Himself pre-incarnate. The issue is this, the Hebrew writer saying this, Jesus is not disqualified. He's not disqualified. And that's what I want you to go home with. Because honestly, if you go home more interested whether or not it was a human or Jesus, you've missed the point and you're heading down into the wrong area. And I'm serious about this. And you know what? I think God wants us to turn there. Put a bookmark here and go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I want to just give you a scriptural caution to avoid. When I was younger in the ministry, I used to love to sit around and argue stuff like this. But you know what I was doing? I was feeding my flesh. And listen to what it says here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Alright? Verse 23. Actually, we'll just go back to verse 22. Chapter 2, verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know that they produce quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Folks, if you get caught up more in whether or not it was a human or a Jesus, you're going down the wrong road and Satan will be winning. Why did you start us down that road? I didn't start you down that road. I'm showing you, as I teach the passage, here's what I lean toward. And as I've been saying all along, that's all. I'm not trying to convince you. I don't want to make any disciples of Jim tonight. I am throwing Scripture out at you, and I'm saying, look at it this way. Some look at it this way. I look at it this way. You have to decide for yourself. The Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians, because they didn't even take what Paul had to say unless they checked it against the Scriptures. But please, 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 do not walk out of here thinking that he was human or that he was Jesus is more important. The greater importance is the fact that the Hebrew writer is saying this, Jesus is not disqualified, even because he's not from the tribe of Levi. Jesus is... We've already seen in the Scriptures a picture of one who was priest and king, who was before the the Levitical priesthood, and this priesthood has continued from then on. So whether it was of Melchizedek who was human or Melchizedek who was Jesus, this continues on, and Jesus is more than qualified to be our high priest. Alright? So, where do I stand? I lean toward that it's Jesus. I don't know. We could sit tonight and argue when the Gog and Magog War is going to happen. Good luck. You don't know. I don't know. It could be prior. It could be in the middle. It could be at the end of Armageddon. There are all these different ideas. And trying to prove our point and win the argument would be foolish, because honestly, I could argue on all sides and probably make you convinced and you'd be changing your mind all night. That's not the issue. The issue is, we have a Lord Jesus Christ who is qualified. You know, you can't help thank you. Right. There's not much in the Old Testament. There is not much in so the Old Testament. These people were completely And his wonder of God knocked a lot in confusion. Yep. So if as they read the first scriptures, what in the world did they think? Probably the same thing we're doing right now. we they they probably said, Wow, we don't understand that. But as you know, in time, God will give us understanding. Deuteronomy 29.29 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things revealed to us and to our children. Like you, know, like you said, some people think it's Shem. And, you know, the whole and, and those people who think it's Shem, buddy, they can pull out their charts and they can just walk you through. So-and-so begat so-and-so and know so-and-so. What the is. I don't know what the latest is. Somebody, some people think... Aliens, right? uh, I'm not the least bit surprised. I, I can guarantee you that if it was someone from another planet, it wasn't an alien. It was, it was Jesus. If it was, if it was that way. See, I know what's going through your mind right now. We waited and waited and waited for the Melchizedek study for this. We walk out of here as confused as we were before. No, hopefully you now can say, if someone says Jesus wasn't of Levitical, Levitical priesthood, he cannot serve as your high priest, you can say, oh, no, 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 no. Melchizedek was prior to that, and he was king and priest. Jesus is not in the Levitical priesthood. He is in the order of Melchizedek. And if then they ask you, was he human or Jesus, roll your window up and keep driving. All right? Let me pray for us. Father... I thank You for the fact that You will help us have insight and understanding. And Lord, keep us from getting into f- stupid and foolish arguments. Father, may we honestly... May the greatest thing be seen as our loved one for another. Because there are many times, and this is one of those areas where those who have Your Spirit don't always see it the same. And for years that has driven me crazy. I used to always think, Lord, that if we had the same Spirit, we'd see it the same way. But then... As I read your word, I see in Romans 14 that some are going to think one day is more sacred than another. Others are going to think eating vegetables is the only thing we're allowed to do. Others are going to think eating meat is okay. And you say to us that each one must be fully convinced in his own mind before our own master we stand or fall. And Lord, for some reason you have chosen, and I'm starting to see at least a small glimpse of why, but you have chosen to let us not fully grasp it all, And I think now I'm starting to see that it's because of the fact that if we show love for one another in the midst of maybe not fully grasping method of baptism or issues like that, that the true value of our worship of Jesus Christ will be seen. That by our love one for another, even though we don't fully... It's easy to love somebody that fully agrees with you. It's hard to love somebody you don't understand or doesn't see things the way you do. And what a great opportunity we have to love those who may not see it as we do. And Lord Jesus, may that be the greatest thing that's going on in our lives, not the fact that we want an argument. Although we use Your Word as a weapon against each other, it's to be a weapon against the enemy. So Father, tonight may we walk out of here praising You for the fact that You are not disqualified. Jesus, that You are able to be our priest. And thank You for that. And thank You for showing us that... You have been able to be our priest, and that picture of that was even prior to the Levitical priesthood. There are some wonderful pictures in the Levitical priesthood of who you are and what you'll do, and we're going to get to those as we go down the road in our study. But at least tonight, as we get into the study of how the Levitical priesthood is a picture of what you've done for us, and will continue to do forever, we can see that there was a picture in Melchizedek, whoever he may have been, that showed us before the Levitical priesthood what you were going to do. Lord, may we worship you tonight for the fact that the church is not plan B. And this is what we thank you for in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.